Hey, this is Zach Bagans from Ghost Adventures, and you are listening to the ghost host, Sophia Temporilli, on LiveParanormal.com. Not only am I Dave Schrader, but I'm Dave Schrader of Travel Channel's The Holzer Files, and you're listening to <laughs> Sophia Temporelli on LiveParanormal.com. I feel left out. I wanted to throw myself into your mix of, of voiceovers now. <laughs> I love it. You know, uh, it's almost like we didn't leave break. Today, we are welcoming History Channel's American Ripper televised host investigator, acclaimed author of Bloodstained, Chicago's Murder Castle, H.H. Holmes, great-grandson Jeff Mudgett. Today, we will be discussing exclusive aspects of American Ripper series and Jeff's best-selling book. Everyone visit bloodstainsthebook.com, Twitter at Jeff Mudgett, at bloodstains14, Instagram at MudgettJeff, and Facebook, Jeff Mudgett. Let's welcome him into the show. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a pleasure being on with you today. Thank you so thank much you for so having much. on. I'm so, interested in answering all the questions you have about American Ripper. It was uh, quite a life experience for me. My family loved the show. My grandma's actually listening right now. Um, her and her boyfriend would watch it. <laughs> you know, I get that so often when I go on shows like yours. Uh, the host will bring up that, hey, Jeff, it's the only show I can tell you that my wife and I were just waiting all week for the next episode. Yep. <laughs> so to start off, you know, I know that your grandfather is H.H. H. Holmes. How did each family member kind of find out throughout the years that you were related to such a notorious serial killer? Yeah, and it's my grandfather's grandfather. You got to put a couple of greats in there. Okay. We were yeah. uh, we were at a family dinner party, and uh, my grandmother was making her famous chicken and dumplings, and we were waiting for apple pie and all that. And my grandfather finally just decided that the weight that he'd borne on his shoulders, you know, all his life, keeping this horrible fact a secret from us, needed to be out in the open. And he, and he told us that, you know, our, our ancestor was perhaps the most evil man in American history, H.H. H. Holmes. You know, we knew him as Herman Webster Mudgett. Wow. Um, what was that moment like for you to find that out? It's it was much the same, Sophia, like when I when I go on shows and explain to people who have their own beliefs about Jack the Ripper that, you know, my theory based on mountains of evidence is that Holmes was Jack the Ripper. They they blew they blow it off as I blew my grandfather's, you know, information off. But then when I went home that night and started putting some research into it, it all started making some sense in in part because while I'd never contemplated evil or murder in my life, I knew I was different, and I knew I was quote-unquote strange. And that, that gene, you know, those chromosomes that he had enlightened us with, all of a sudden made a lot of sense. And I know um, within the introduction of your book, Bloodstains, you state regarding your great-great-grandfather, H.H. H. Holmes, his blood stains my soul. How did the embodiment of the statement lead to your writing of the book and further the connection to Holmes and Jack the Ripper? Well, it, uh, the knowledge tortured me. I, I tried to continue my career as a lawyer in California, finally gave it up and decided there was something to, you know, why my grandfather told me this at 40 years old, knowing that, you know, this was going to interfere with, with what I'd planned for the rest of my life. And I decided it had to do with a destiny, that there was an obligation on my part, maybe to the innocent victims that Holmes had murdered, 
And I decided to put all that aside and, and start researching how much of the story was legend, lore, and how much was fact. And as you both know, you know, hitting the subject over and over again, so much of what you read these days on whatever media source you go to is, is largely exaggeration and out and out just false. And, you know, the further we got into deciding which parts of the home story was true and which were not, lo and behold, most of the horrible parts were true. A very interesting story. I mean, I took law and forensics, so a lot of it is just so strange to find out about. I mean, you know, when you're going through the classes, you find out all these things about, you know, just this, the lengths you would have to go to to try and hide the evidence and everything. You know, when he was a master at that, he, you know, he graduated with a doctor's, a doctorate in medicine from University of Michigan, one of the most acclaimed universities at the time, still is. He was a pharmacist. He was a chemist. He paid for his college tuition, Sophia, robbing graves and selling the skeletons to medical museums around the country. He right. decided that was too he decided that was too much work in the middle of the night, and I think you know that's where he took up murder as an easier way to achieve the skeletons he needed to uh, keep his cash flow going. Definitely a very interesting way to pay for medical school. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I know also along with that, you know, the actor that plays your great-great-grandfather, Mark Granville Merritt, he's obviously portrays H.H. H. Holmes in the History Channel series, American Ripper. How do you explain his sudden popularity and fan base as merely characterizing, you know, a historical figure? You know, and he, he deserves an Emmy, in my opinion. He was incredible in the role, not only, you know, acting as the director required him, but also presenting that energy, which anyone that watched the show Man, you, you, you tended to believe, if you didn't keep reminding yourself, that was H.H. H. Holmes on the screen, and that was Holmes being Jack the Ripper. I, I, you know, I, I went through a year of production, John, and every time I saw one of those recreations, I was just lost inside them. You know, along with the series, do you feel that there will ever be a time for a movie to come out about the connection between H.H. H. Holmes and Jack the Ripper? Well, you guys know there's a movie being made right now, and Leonardo DiCaprio is going to star my ancestor with right. Martin Scorsese, the great Hollywood director, putting it all together. And from what I'm told, they're spending just boatloads of money on it. It's going to be an epic. And I would wow. imagine DiCaprio is going to pull it off and win an Oscar over the role. But as far as tying Holmes to the Ripper, I doubt they go there because that would interfere with the book rights they have with Devil in the White City. But right. I'm, I'm pretty well convinced. I'm pretty well convinced there'll be a Hollywood studio that knocks on my door pretty soon. Since I know Leo is going to be starring in the other movie, who would you want to play um, your grandfather, well, your great-great-grandfather oh. in um, a movie? Oh, man, that's a, that's a tough question. There's so many great actors out there. Um, I've got a couple personal friends that I would throw in there, but based on, you know, just the ability to pull evil off with that look of the eye that a Holmes would have to have. What was the name of the fellow that played Khan in the, in the recent Star Trek movie? Ooh, I, I know you mentioned Ed Norton in an interview too. 
Norton would be good. But the guy that yeah. played Khan, he said, he has that evil eye to him, which man, it just it just perplexes you when he stares into the. I camera. know. I can picture him, and <laughs> I'm trying to picture who. Yeah, what what his name is. But yeah, I know who you mean. Definitely, uh, it would be a super interesting movie, and I think it would be such a hit too. So, I know with American Ripper, can you tell us how that all came about? Where you went from finding out about your great-great-grandfather, to writing a book, to eventually starring in a TV series. I'm glad you asked that. That's one of the, that's one of the parts of the story that I'd really like to be able to explain to, to young would-be authors one day. Because, you know, I pretty much took the path less traveled, Sophia. Um, despite numerous offers from publishing houses, I refused and decided to self-publish. And... That's hard work. I tell when I go to universities to talk about writing now, I, I explain to the, the students, writing the book is the easy part. The tough part comes with marketing, distribution, the, the, the economies involved, and then selling your story to a media that, that's willing to help you, you know, try to move it. And I spent five years doing that. And we, when we started off, John, we were selling two books a month. And just, if it wouldn't have been for my best friend that hung with me those five years, taking care of all the distribution problems, I, I wouldn't have made it. But then one day I was asked to go on coast to coast radio with my good friend, Dave Schrader. Dave had me on, you know, coast to coast has a huge following. Yeah. While, while right. I was on coast to coast, the people at Ted talks heard me on the, on the show they contacted me and asked if I'd be willing to discuss Holmes being Jack the Ripper at a TED Talk around a foundation. They wanted their show to be about bias and preconceived notions. And, and there's nothing, no subject on earth, which has more bias and preconceived notions than who you think Jack the Ripper was. I mean, anywhere I go in the world, I'm run, I, I run into people that, are willing to violently fight regarding who they think Jack the Ripper was. Wow. And so I agreed to do I agreed to do the TED Talk. It it did pretty well. It wasn't like it went viral on on YouTube. But then one day a production company contacted me and told me that History Channel had fallen in love with my TED Talk and was interested in a TV series. So, you know, those little chinks that come along the way if, if you open your mind and you're ready for them, there's a possibility. We joke about it, my, my partner and I, that we don't know what's going to happen after your show today, Sophia, and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow from one of the books we sold yesterday. It's just, it's, it's almost like you, you can't predict anything in this business. And, right. you know, I know TED Talks is super huge. I mean, pretty much any class I was in, whether it was, psychology, forensics, or even just English, there was always a teacher who played TED Talks. Well, you know why? They don't pay you to go on. They covered my expenses. But here I am on a show with three or 4,000 people in the audience and speakers around me that are just famous. And here I'm this little guy that says his great-great-grandfather was Jack the Ripper. And then people were looking at me with a strange look. But by the end, right. and they only give you 18, they only give you 18 minutes. And the producer, 
told me he wanted me to spend the first nine minutes explaining who my great-great-grandfather was, and then he'd give me nine minutes to prove who Jack the Ripper was. You know, here's, here's a subject that's gone on for 100 years back and forth, and he gave me nine minutes. So it's, the TED is a, wow. is a unique experience, which you've got it's, – it's, it's a great platform to let people know you've got a book or a story. But you, when you go do it, you better be ready. It's the toughest thing there is in the business. I can imagine it's so different from doing radio or even TV because you're in front of a live audience timed and, you know, it would be distributed to pretty much anywhere. You know, I'm pretty sure there's a TED Talk app too. So definitely a very large forum. Yeah, and if any of your listeners want to go on, if they just Google up uh, TED Talk, H.H. Uh, H. Holmes, Jack the Ripper and YouTube, they, they can watch my presentation from years ago. Definitely. Very awesome. Uh, I know if I was still in forensics, I would tell my teacher I don't really have a way to tell her, but she would love it. Uh, I actually had a forensic specialist on like a year ago when I was in forensics, and she came on and talked to her, and it was uh, definitely a pretty cool experience. Forensic science is a fascinating subject, which I, I think a lot of people – uh, I intend to give a talk in Chicago in a couple of weeks about the DNA test results from the cadaver we exhumed on American River uh, Ripper. And, mm -hmm. you know, obviously to, to learn DNA in a month's time is, is impossible. But just coming up with the basic facts that I knew nothing about putting, you know, watching NCIS and you think you know DNA, well, you don't. And right. yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. We're putting together a, a really unique presentation trying to explain DNA and then show the differences in the DNA test results of the cadaver and then my DNA. And I think the audience is going to be fascinated. I know we have to take a quick commercial break, but we'll be right back with more questions. Hey, this is Rick Hayes, the psychic medium, life consultant, author, and lecturer. And you're listening to the ghost host, Sophia Temporelli on LiveParanormal.com. Believe. This is Nick Groff, executive producer of Ghost Adventures, the original documentary in Ghost Adventures, season 1 through 10, and executive producer of Ghost Stalkers, author of Chasing Spirits, the building of the Ghost Adventures crew, and founder of NickGroffTours.com. You are listening to the ghost host, Sophia Temporelli, on LiveParanormal.com. Tune in. Hey, this is Zach Bagans from Ghost Adventures, and you are listening to the ghost host, Sophia Temporilli, on LiveParanormal.com. Congratulations, Sophia Temporelli. Sophia Temporelli. The go go ghost host. Celebrating six years of broadcasting on LiveParanormal.com. Yeah, right. Jeff, thank you again for coming on today. No, I'm having a great time. I'm. Uh, your questions, uh, I... A lot of the shows I go on, the questions are, you know, repeated over and over again. You guys have an inside that I'm finding very enlightening and enjoyable. Thank you. Wow. Well, thank you so much. So the next question actually comes from my mom. Um, so during the exhuming episode of American Ripper, it was apparent that the body was wearing a full suit, but it did not seem to be analyzed. With so much being exposed and revealed during the show, was there anything behind the scenes that did not make it on camera? I got I to gotta be careful here, Sophia. I signed 
mountains of contracts with History Channel. And no, sure, I totally understand any, that. And as any author you've had on will tell you, when a book or a theory is converted into a television series, the, the, you know, the, the author behind the scenes or me playing a co-host will be disappointed that his direction and production wasn't used to the utmost. And, and that's just a normal thing which happens. And, and it's largely because I never understood television. I don't know how to produce a series. I don't know the politics behind the scene and the decisions that had to be made. Uh, but to right. bring you know a short conclusion to your mom's great question, the answer is yes. <laughs> okay. Well, well no, I totally understand that. Um, you know, I understand the legal aspect of that, and I definitely don't want you getting sued. So I completely understand. Yeah, and it, but that doesn't you know, and I got to tell you. The people at History are awesome to work with. They're creative geniuses. When we put a scene together, John, it looked like when I'd walk into the offices in New York, it looks like we were sending up a space shuttle. I mean, it had hundreds of people involved in the work. And, and these people stood up to the plate. They, they backed me up on the exhumation, which cost a fortune, which no one to. else was willing to do. And my hat is off to History for everything they did, allowing my theory – you know, there's, there's so many stories you hear now about cold cases and authors giving their theories about what happened, this or that. We've got to be the only one in decades, Sophia, that actually dug up something and came up with evidence, yes or no, rather than just another theory and an opinion. Um, it's so amazing to see that. I know I actually did um, a report in my class, and um, it was basically on just, like, bone evidence and stuff. But... Basically, you know, one of the bodies, they, there was a story of, like, a guy, his body was buried, the grave kind of looked messed up, so they thought a grave robber had robbed it, and the body looked new and fresh and everything, so they actually did an autopsy and found out that the body had been from, like, 200 years before, but it was preserved so well. So I know with, like, exhuming evidence that you never know what you're going to find. Exactly. I tell you, one of the scenes I wish that had gone on further in your mother's question is, you know, we had these long debates at the University of Pennsylvania with the anthropologists there who, who reminded me of Indiana Jones. They were just awesome people to work with. To get to their offices, John, you had to walk through this long hallway of the artifacts that they had discovered around the world. You, you, right. you, your, your, breath, your breath would literally be torn from your lungs the awesomeness of the things you'd be seeing. And we had these debates about, wait a minute, this guy's supposed to be encased in a, a concrete sarcophagus. What are we going to find? Is it going to be a mummy? Is it going to be zero from the lime and the lye, you know, the chemicals? Um, we yeah. had no idea. And, and neither did these award-winning anthropologists. And I really wish that scene, just us sitting around a table with coffee discussing what we were going to find would have been shown. You are the host of the show, but you also have a co-host along with that in Amarillo's Fox. Can you tell us a little bit about how you met her and how she became a part of the project? I'm glad you bring Amarillo's up. She and I are like best friends now, you know, and she's got like this cult following around America. All the guys in America fell in love with her on the show. And, you know, she's the CIA trained forensic specialist. I call her Scully on the show and history had a cow about that. They said I couldn't use that name. 
because they'd be sued by the, the producers of X-Files if I did. And Amaryllis, Amaryllis is this, this brilliant, I mean, she went to Harvard and Oxford for degrees. She went to the CIA. She was in, um, she was in Syria, Iraq. She was all over the Middle East. Um, that scene where she dumps, jumps down into the open grave, John, and, that, and I got to tell you, you, watching TV, you had no idea what we were involved in there. There was this dank muck that smelled horrible. And, yeah. you know, the, these, these scientists were covered in gloves and masks and all this. Emeryllis jumps down and she starts digging. And, and, the, and the producer and director turns to me and said, Jeff, you want to get down with the Emeryllis and dig? And I said, no, not really. <laughs> not really. And, and, and uh, those scenes where she's down digging, those weren't made up. That was her down there. So, I'd been aware of her work, Sophia, before. She had given a couple mm-hmm. of talks that had gone viral on YouTube. I think one has 180 million hits where she explains everything we've done wrong in the Middle East. And if someone wants to know the Middle East, all you've got to do is listen to 20 minutes of Amaryllis and you'll, and you'll have it. So wow. I knew her work. I knew how brilliant she was at forensic science. So I suggested her name to history. And these, like I said, these people are amazing. They went and had her signed up, and she's on the show. Oh, wow. Wow. What was it like working with someone, you know, who worked with the CIA and everything on your grandfather's case? Was it kind of a different perspective than, you know, all the information that you had already gathered? You know, we I picked her, Sophia, because I wanted someone the American people could believe when they saw the show and we presented the evidence. And to, to be mm-hmm. frank, her first reaction to my theory was she thought I was full of baloney. And she right. said it that way. And they had to talk her out of saying it on air. And, but as we worked and went further and further into the evidence, she now, while not willing to stand up in court and raise her hand to swear that H.H. H. Holmes is Jack the Ripper, she believes there is a preponderance of the evidence which establishes my theory, and that's exactly what I wanted for the show, and I think that came across in the episodes as they progressed. Well, that's definitely a very interesting behind-the-scenes tidbit there. So I know, um, though well-documented and preserved in every aspect, it's not well-stated in the finale of American Ripper. Were the exhumed remains revealed ever return back to the original grave? Yes. The judge who we spent, oh, months talking into allowing the exhumation, and we had to convince him that my theory held water, that Mm -hmm. the, the theory that Holmes had escaped the execution, another man had been buried in his place, and that Holmes had escaped to go off and commit other horrible crimes was a possibility and, and, a, and a, a very large possibility because the judge at first was not up for it. And finally, our lawyer who did a great job talked the judge into allowing us to exhume as long as we promised it would not be turned into a media circus, which it wasn't despite the helicopters flying around us every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then cameramen behind trees in the graveyard. It was, I, I, I had never felt that way in my life. It was very strange. And then he also made have, us promise that – go ahead. Oh, it's just, it, did they have to honor the actual – like go back and pour the concrete again, any of that? 
Oh, yeah. He, he said we had to put it back wow. the way it was, which cost, like I wow. said, cost history a lot of money. But they honored his wishes and the remains were buried back. As, as a matter of fact, the Archdiocese of Philadelphia contributed, I think, a coffin. Um, because if you watch the show, you'll, you'll realize that there was a false wood coffin above the sarcophagus. Yeah. And Holmes, and Holmes or someone in his, in his t- on his team had decided that false coffin might fake someone out who wanted to dig it up one day. And, you know, we, we had that argument on screen, but then Amaryllis talked the whole team into keeping going that extra two feet. And that's where we found the concrete. Now, I don't know if right. they – I wasn't there when they reburied him, but I don't know if they laid him down in concrete or not. But, uh, you know, I, the judge made it very clear. It had to go back the way we found it. Wow. And I know also it alluded upon the finale of American Ripper that you were interested in pursuing leads in Ireland. Would any of the additional investigations regarding H.H. H. Holmes um, be continuing across Europe and just around there? You know, the history decided they weren't going to open a second season for uh, reasons they didn't explain to me. They just, like I said, they have politics and money involved. But they said no. I know a lot of those issues, like you just brought up, were on the production team's mind. And that would have been quite the experience to go back across the pond, uh, London and Ireland. Um, I wish we would have had the chance. And maybe some other uh, network will pick it up. I know that I saw a lot of people posting about it on Facebook, so it was definitely a big hit of a show. We had, I think it set the last episode, Sophia, set records for history. Oh, wow. Well, congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you wow. very much. And I know that the, the episode before they were disappointed with, and then that the final episode and that buildup to the exhumation and bringing him up, uh, I think had people glued to their screens. That was revolutionary. Definitely. I, I know my parents were just very excited about it. They talked about it all Yeah, we couldn't weekend. wait. <laughs> so that's I couldn't, I I couldn't either. Their favorite. <laughs> I mean, yeah, here, here I'm, involved, I'm involved in the production for a year, and I couldn't wait for the show to start on Tuesday either. So, Wow. Walk us through the emotions you had during the moment when the body was finally exhumed, and what did the priest say on site to you at that moment? Once again, you you have a great question, which they filmed that exact moment you just brought up. And I, the one producer uh, who was a brilliant man from uh, India, name of, his first name was Irfan. Mm-hmm. He came over to me and, and while the digging was going on, Sophia, there were so many people there, engineers, scientists, the film crews, the, the audio teams, helicopters flying over. The, the the people from the church, the cemetery, and it just overwhelmed me all of a sudden to where I actually screamed out, will you all wow. show a little respect for the dead? And the director, bless his soul, was this brilliant man who, who his, I just enjoyed working with him a lot. He doesn't like his name being mentioned on air, so I'll leave it off. But he, he came over and he, and he told everybody, hey, all of you, Jeff's right. Show some respect. Let's get this on film the right way. And I got to tell you, I was standing there watching as they cracked open the concrete and the skull came out of the darkness. And one of the representatives for the archdiocese walked over, John, and whispered in my ear, and he said, 
my son, are you sure you know what you're doing here today? Wow. Yeah. Wow. And he said, there is an evil in this box, which was put away that way for a reason. And he walked away from me. And I got to no. tell you, it's, that, that, there's not a day goes by that his words don't ring in my ears. And they filmed that. Wow. And, I, and so I, I finally had had enough, Sophie, and I just walked down the row of, row of graves, and they filmed me walking away. Mm-hmm. And the producer came over and goes, oh, man, we just, we just nailed that. That's going up. And uh, it, didn't, it didn't go on, that, on the uh, final episode. I was quite disappointed. That would be some very interesting words to hear during that moment in time. It would definitely make you think and just wonder what, what was going on. Yeah. yeah thanks uh, for sharing that insight. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not one on I – be, I believe in energies after life when we, you know, we pass into mm-hmm. death. I believe I don't know if I believe in little girls riding bicycles like Stanley Kramer portrayed in you know in Stephen King movies, but yeah, but I know there's an energy there's an energy after we just haven't found it yet or explained it properly. So I got to tell you, the things we were doing in the basement of the murder castle and in that grave were very close to the source of some of those energies, in my opinion. And that brings me to my next question, actually. With your investigations, have you ever brought a psychic medium along to gather information, or would you in the future? Yeah, we had we had uh, not on this show. The history history decided, you know, they wanted it to be true crime and factual based investigation. And right, they mm-hmm. they, they they had decided to move away from the paranormal years ago, and. Maybe for good reason. There were other there are other networks that do that well. So the one time before I had gone into the basement with a with a psychic and um, she had recorded some sounds which I often listen to with her from time to time when we get together. And there are definitely strange noises down in that basement which I would imagine science, there's scientific explanations for. I just haven't, I haven't been shared them with them. So it's, it's, it's a strange place, which, you know, the Harper's Magazine wrote a great article about Holmes in the 1940s. If, if your listeners want to ever get the best piece of writing, other than bloodstains, about Holmes, uh, Google up H.H. Holmes and Harper's. And they wrote that if ever ghosts were to be proven, it would be at 63rd and Wallace, the basement of the murder castle. Oh, right. And violent, I know, tragic, um, untimely. We didn't really talk about it earlier in the show, but can you explain to the audience a little bit about what the murder castle was and what happened there? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things and events which make you scratch your head, John, and think, that can have happened in America. It's the Murder Castle was an American experience that history has largely hidden, except for some of the great work being done by, you know, Eric Larson and, and Harold Schechter, the authors that wrote Depraved and The Devil in the White City, and now that Leonardo DiCaprio will bring to the, to the forefront. But it was a place that Holmes designed, we believe, through an evolution of murder to where he wanted privacy in his evil. And he knew that the World's Fair was coming to Chicago and millions of innocent 
strangers would be showing up in town who needed a room and who needed a place to, you know, wait for the next day's amazing entertainment. I mean, the, the World's Fair was, you had Edison there, you had the Wright brothers there, you had Tesla there, you had everyone that was anybody there. And Holmes had this little hotel about two miles away, which you could see from the huge Ferris wheel there. And these young ladies, Sophia, would show up needing a room, having, you know, mm-hmm. saved money for years in preparation for this. And if Holmes, if they caught Holmes as fancy, he would put them in one of the special rooms. He would either asphyxiate them or render them unconscious with gas send them down chutes to where his assistants would strap them to a table so that Holmes could experiment or torture away in the privacy of his hotel basement. Jeez. Wow. Such an elaborate setup that he made. I I refer to him as the real life Dr. Frankenstein when I'm asked to, you know, to define him in a phrase. Because mm-hmm. that's what he that's what he was, but pe- Americans just don't want to believe that happened here, and it did. Amazing. Definitely. I mean, you know, it's such something that you would hear in a story or something. It's such a big setup, but it's all real life, so it's it's hard to believe, but it it was real. Well, and that's where Scorsese, Mr. Scorsese, has this. This, this this smorgasbord. He doesn't need a Hollywood writer to create a script. He has real life to make this movie work. I know we're coming towards the end of the show, but I have a couple more questions. So while formulating bloodstains, was there any psychologists, forensic scientists, handwriting analysts, authors, investigators, or field experts that helped formulate your approach in completing bloodstains? No, bloodstains, I like to call, despite, you know, months of agonizing over the decision and, and you know, legal uh, representation and advice, bloodstains, I, I finally settled on calling it fiction based on a true story because, you know, John, the books you read today, the ones that are called nonfiction that are circled around a true crime mystery, They have gaps in them. All of them do, which the author fills in to the best of his ability. And those books, in my opinion, shouldn't be considered nonfiction. And I didn't want to do that again. So I I called it fiction based on a true story. And that gave me some latitude, Sophia, as to, you know, the, the, the ways that I could fill a chapter in when I when I was at a point where and it happened over and over again. Everything you read today about Holmes was based on a newspaper article from the 1890s, which isn't correct. And that's where this debate Mm -hmm. happens now about how many people he killed. I don't know how many people Holmes murdered. It could be 10, it could be 27, it could be 80, it could be 200. And that's where my opinion rests along with Eric Larson. So, um, that debate will go on forever until the federal government allows us to excavate those grounds and do a DNA analysis of the remains at 63rd and Wallace. Whoa. Wow. And, and then finally, as you watch the any... show, and then as you watch the show, oh, yeah. you saw us, 
there are remains in the Chicago River as well from his concrete factory. So I, I apologize for interrupting you, but, you know, it's just all over Chicago. And then he murdered in Philadelphia. He murdered in New York. He murdered in London. So for someone to say they know how many he killed, this, this expert at reducing human remains to zero, I think is a, it's a very difficult theory to take on. Right. You know, from taking forensics, it's a lot of work to do that, but he became a master at it, so you would never know the exact number. No, and he, you know, he had a lawyer. When, when I watched one of the great, my favorite shows, Better Call Saul, Holmes had a couple of these lawyers who would create alibis for him, whatever city he was in, and they were on his payroll. So when yeah. someone says, we know, where, we know where Holmes was because his lawyer wrote this letter, I just kind of chuckle it away. Right. Finally, are there any websites, upcoming interviews, events, appearances, investigations, productions, or books upcoming that you wish to mention? You know, I, I, like, I'm very excited about October 8th in Chicago at the Chicago Ghost Con. Ursula Bielski is an old friend. She gave me my first chance to talk about Holmes years ago. And she's allowing me to stand up and present what I've found from the DNA and from the investigation by the University of Pennsylvania regarding the cadaver. And I think I'm going to be interviewed by NBC and the Chicago Tribune and the New York Times before I go up on stage. So that's a great opportunity for me. Um, I've got an event in April, which we're actually going to produce and let me direct the conclusion of American Ripper had I had a say in it. And, and let the... the yeah, and that's that's I'm really excited about that. Not not to correct anything. There was nothing wrong that was done by history. I just I want to have free time. I don't want to have to have commercials interrupting perhaps the greatest moment in TV history in my opinion. And I and I want to yeah. lay it out there for an audience who wants to take part. I want to thank you so much for coming on my show today. It's been awesome talking to you. I I tell you what, Sophia, your questions are awesome and John, I love how you guys follow up on your question with the, with the next, you know, factual issue. It makes an interview very easy to do. And I got to tell you, some of these I go on are very difficult. Yours was, yours was, yours was a lot of fun. Well, thank you. Wow. So much, and I would love to have you back on in the future. I'd love yeah, to come if back. that's possible. Oh, wow. And no I, I know she had some other quick little questions and things, but I mean, yeah, I mean, this hour just flew. So Thank you so much, Jeff. And anytime you have anything to promote, just let us know and, and we'll get you in. Or even if it's before another guest to make an announcement, definitely. Because I know everything's fluid with what you're doing, too. This is amazing. Well, thank you very much. I, uh, I, I uh, really value that offer you just made, and uh, I'll probably take you up on it. Wow. Well, okay, and I'll be you sending so you the link to the, yeah, to the archive show. Thanks, Jeff. Good, night, uh, good day. All right. Take care. Yeah, again, uh, Jeff Mudgett and, and uh, Sophia, great show today. But, uh, yeah, History Channel's American Ripper, televised host, investigator, acclaimed author of Bloodstains. I want every, you know, um, geez, this is H.H. H. Holmes' great-great-grandson that we all watched uh, in, in that famous uh, exhumation episode, Jeff Mudgett. So everybody visit bloodstainsthebook.com. That's bloodstainsthebook.com on Twitter, at Jeff Mudgett. That's at Jeff Mudgett. Also, too, on Twitter, at bloodstains14. Instagram, at Mudgett Jeff. And Facebook, Jeff Mudgett. Fantastic show today, Sophia.
Definitely. Jeff was a great guest, and I want to thank everyone for listening today. The show definitely would not be possible without all of you, and I'll talk to you guys again next week. Bye. Hi, this is Debbie as Sion Ghost Adventures. You're listening to The Ghost Host with your host, Sophia Temporelli, on LiveParanormal.com. God bless you all. Thank you.